As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined as always by James Moore and Charlie Acklesher. This is your last chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 per month. You'll be able to access all of our great writing on Tottenham and so much more. The offer ends this week, so if you've been thinking about trying us out, this is the perfect time. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and pay just £1 per month. It's been a pretty good night for Spurs last night, Charlie, with that 1-0 win away at Burnley. After the, those two really disappointing home draws against Newcastle and West Ham United, that looked like exactly what Spurs needed. Yeah, I mean, the clean sheet, definitely a massive bonus. The first in the Premier League uh, all season and second in a row um, after the midweek game against Lask. Yeah, I mean, I guess ideally what you would have had is a game that once again showcased how brilliantly Spurs are in an attacking sense um, and that they also look defensively solid. As it was, they looked defensively solid um, and were less kind of thrilling going forward as they have been. But yeah, 1-0 away win at a, in inverted commas, difficult place to go. Um you know, is is very welcome, and I think pretty much every Spurs fan would have taken a, a gritty one 0 beforehand. Given, you know, the thrills and spills of West Ham were were hardly very enjoyable. Um, so yeah, de- definitely, um, you know, the the clean sheet was extremely welcome, and and I guess as were the three points. You know, Spurs have got a pretty good goal difference as it is, so they don't need to be worrying about that. And um, yeah, just one of those I think where you tick off and say, "Job done. Let's move on to the next one." James, do you think this was a case of we, we knew that Spurs could play well, but from this game we had to have a sense that they could finally grind out a win? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, I think that felt really important, particularly after what happened at the end of that that West Ham game. I think to see the team come under a bit of pressure, and they did come under a couple of spells of pressure towards the end of the first half and probably sort of through the middle of the second half. Um, I wouldn't say it was quite a bombardment, but they did have to weather a bit of a storm of sorts. Um, and I think they did that pretty well. I, I don't, it wasn't a game where there were many or any defensive blunders. Dyer and Alderweireld looked pretty steady. I think there was one stray pass from Davis in the second half, and I think one very early from Hoiberg in the first pass. But generally, uh, in the first half, sorry. Um, but generally, I thought it was a really composed performance. Uh, and actually, I think if you, if you took this game out of the context of uh, behind closed doors uh, and this season where we've seen a ludicrous number of goals I think going 1-0 uh, go, going to Burnley and winning 1-0 would be seen as a really good result and I know I think they've only got taken one point I think from their first five matches Burnley but you know they're Burnley and they're, they're solid and they're difficult to beat and I, and I doubt anyone's had an easy game against them in those in those other four matches and I suppose they didn't have an easy game on, on Monday night but they've come away with three points and uh Without wanting to sound too much like a footballer or a manager, that, that's all you can really ask for. That's Spurs' first win at Burnley for three years, I think. So they won Christmas yeah. 2017 when they won 3-0 with the Harry Kane hat-trick. But 
They've lost and drawn their last two games there before last night. So um, I think it's exactly what Spurs needed. I was really... Obviously, it wasn't a great game to watch compared to some of the games we've had recently. But I was really impressed by the way they kind of restricted Burnley to almost very, very few opportunities apart from... You know, there was the one that Harry Kane headed off the line. But I thought Spurs looked pretty comfortable. And then when they... It was never good. You're never going to create that many chances against a team like Burnley because they're so organised and physical and they don't defect, you know... They're not like Man United or Southampton who defend halfway up the pitch. Like they, obvi- they, they always have defended quite deep, and you're not going to be able to turn them quite the same way you can other teams. So, in that sense, I was, you know, it, they were never going to run through them like they have done to previous opponents, and that meant I was really impressed with how they did. Yeah, I felt in a way it suited certainly like Dyer and Alderweireld. I mean, we've spoken about the fact that. Sanchez almost has to play because of the pace he has against you know ninety percent of Spurs' opponents, you know, or ninety percent of you know Premier League opponents who will cause a lot of problems. But obviously, Burnley don't have that searing pace. What they have are two guys in wooden barns who are really strong, really physical in the air. But I thought Alderweireld and Dyer kind of they look like they relish that challenge, um, and it allowed Mourinho to play those two. Um, and not play Sanchez at a time where you know we've spoken about Sanchez's confidence is maybe not what it what it has been and you know he's having a bit of a rough patch so I, I think that was quite um, beneficial to Tottenham in a way that yes that, that Burnley are very difficult opponents they're very awkward but they're not ones who are gonna kind of show up Dyer and out of Vireld's collective lack of pace I mean I, I guess one thing I, I mean I agree I think ultimately you do just take that win and you move on do, do we think there was a degree to which uh, Mourinho kind of played into Daisha's hands by almost matching them up and going for the more physical, less attacking team and, and rather than overwhelming them, kind of making it that sort of cagey game? Or do we just think that the win vindicates that and even though it was a little bit hairy with that Kane header off the line that would have changed things, ultimately credit Mourinho for recognising Burnley's skills and you know, almost matching them and, and digging it out in the end. I'm going to come down on the, um, like, Mourinho sympathetic side of this argument. Uh, so I saw a tweet earlier from friend of the show, Dan Kilpatrick from the Evening Standard, saying that I don't think that treating Burnley like peak Atletico Madrid was necessarily the best approach for Spurs last night. And I get what he's saying. And I, you know, I generally do buy these kind of criticisms of Mourinho for being too pragmatic. But the reality is, very few teams go to Burnley and impose themselves on them and play the style of football they want to play. Like, even even City in the past few years haven't always had that much success going to Burnley. Like, it's a slog. And Burnley Burnley's great skill is that, you know, as well as playing a very different style of play from most Premier League teams, they really do drag games down to their level. Like, they take you places you don't want to go. And they make you play their their kind of game. And in that sense, I don't think, I don't, you know, so, I mean, of course, in theory, Spurs could have played Lacelso and tried to keep the ball on the floor floor more and try to play Regular. more of a kind, yeah, and try to play more of a sort of uh, like the style of play that Spurs fans would want to see, especially if they were playing at home. But you can't do that. Like it just doesn't. I don't think, or certainly, I don't think Spurs are probably good enough to go and impose themselves in quite that way. So I think fair enough, really, to Mourinho. He tried, to, he adapted, and it worked. Burnley just wouldn't expose himself in a way that would allow Spurs to score a lot of the goals they've scored, but particularly in those two away games. Uh, but they don't, just don't throw. You know, the fullbacks don't fly forward. The centre, the centre backs don't push high up the pitch. You know, they sit deep. They make themselves compact, and they make themselves difficult to beat. And they're incredibly well organised. It's not like, you know, South, you know, and I'm going to say, having complimented Burnley, I'm now going to say, with all due respect to Manchester United, which is ludicrous, but with all due respect to Manchester United. <laughs> to small, inverted, smaller clubs like Man United. Sure. But, I mean, they're just not, they just don't have that in them. They're just not that well organised. They're not that well drilled. And, you know, for the time being, you don't you don't really reckon they will be, do you? I mean, I, it's a completely different game and it takes a, a completely different approach and... They've changed it up and, you know, it wasn't pretty, as you say, Jack, but I don't think you can quibble with that approach when it brings results, and it has. I guess as well, there's an extent you can't have it both ways because we've, you know, bemoaned the fact that they can't really keep clean sheets and they're too open, you know, there's the three all at home to West Ham. So it would seem a little churlish to complain about a grinded out 1-0. Um, I just think it's interesting, you know, Spurs, it, it, what it does bring up, however you sit on that side of the debate, what it illustrates is how Tottenham do have different ways of playing, which is really encouraging, and a ton of different options personnel-wise. When you think of 
the guys who didn't play yesterday, Bale, Vinicius, uh, Regulon, Delhi, um, there there are a lot. Lamella didn't start. Um, you know, they they have a lot of options uh, and lots of different ways to play. And and yesterday kind of showed us that they have this way to play as well. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is now now Burnley have got McNeil and Goodmanson as the wide players in that team. They've got like proper width, which they've not really had that often in the last few years. And and I think that makes them more of a threat from open play than they were before. Like, like you need those fullbacks to do the defensive work that maybe Oreo and Reguilon are, are probably not quite as adept at as, as Doherty and, um, and Davis. So I, yeah, I think it, it makes sense to kind of be a little bit more conservative with, with the fullbacks when that is probably their biggest threat from open play. I mean, you know, you know, you've got two centre-backs in the team who you hope are going to be able to deal with the aerial bombardment of pieces and it. I think that worked well. Before we move on to the goal, let's quickly touch on the team selection, Charlie, because there was, um, again, Deli Ali left out of the squad. And what did you make of that? From a purely footballing point of view, that wasn't the more the most interesting element of the team selection. I, I kind of expected that just because given the way other players, attacking players have been playing uh, in the last few weeks, um, I mean, I was, I was more surprised to see Bergvine uh, not in the squad, given that I thought he played pretty well against West Ham in his last appearance. And then, you know, you're not going to drop from the bench, I don't think, Bale or Vinicius and Lamella feel as, you know, fully merited his his spot. I was more surprised as well to see Regulon uh, not start left back. Ben Davis came in. Um, but but again, you know, I think that's, that's brilliant to have that option. You know, Ben Davis uh, is a very experienced... Uh, very competent fullback, and he does offer more defensive solidity than Regulon. Who, you know, that's one area that you know, perhaps he needs to work on. He's he's thrilling going forward. Um, so those things surprise me uh, perhaps more. And then you know you've got guys like Winks not even being uh, in the squad as well, but just just because of of that squad depth. And then you know again, Davinson Sanchez not even on the bench, and Joe Roden uh, getting the nod there. So. Yeah, it, it did surprise me a little bit because I thought Spurs might uh, just stick with the more attacking uh, lineups that they've gone with of late. But um, yeah, as we've talked about, I think ultimately, ultimately it did pay off. And then in Doherty as well for Aurier was was perhaps a surprise. But as James explains, you know that's that that certainly makes sense given the threat that Bernie have from those wide positions. Completely, yeah. I think on it's just really it strikes me as just being really good rotation. Like Reguilon mm. had started, I think, four of the five games since his debut. So and I'm sure he'll play again against Antwerp. So it just makes to me it just makes total sense to keep rotating out. I think it I, I know we've talked about Delhi in the past and I think last time we did I said that I thought it was like a big snub to Delhi for him not to be in the group. But then I come I'm kinda of coming around to the view that Maybe he. It's not like he obviously deserves to be in the A team. Like they've got Spurs are playing pretty well. They're doing. They've got very good players in those kind of attacking midfield roles, and it isn't. It doesn't strike me as being the case now that it's like should be somehow controversial that Delhi isn't isn't in the squad, even though obviously it makes news because he's Delhi Alley. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look if you look at that bench last night, I mean, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about Lamella, and he's he's done generally done pretty well when he's played this season. Um, we know they signed Vinicius because they want another centre forward in in the eighteen in the squad. So clearly he's going to be there. So it's probably only really Bale maybe that you would look at and say <laughs> you might put Deli Ali in, in instead on the basis of how well they played this season. And obviously Bale's only played twenty minutes, so it's not like he's been shunted all the way down the order on the basis of you know. Mourinho just not liking his personality. I think in his before, you know, he's done fine when he's played this season. He's not been dread- he's not been dreadful, but I, you know, I, I don't think we've seen enough of him to suggest that he should be kind of walking into the team or even into the eighteen, given the depth that they've got now. I mean, I was thinking just looking ahead to Thursday's game. I don't really expect he'll start that game because you think Vinicius and Bale will start, Bergvine will start. I think Lamella could well start. And then that's your front four already. Um, then, you know, you think Winks would come in. I guess Delhi could play in a deeper position if they wanted to kind of spice things up a little bit. But then you think maybe Lo Celso will, will kind of need the minutes. So 
there is just so much competition. But we've spoken about it before. You know, this 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 exact fixture uh, last season was the game where Ndombele was taken off at half time, and you know then barely played after the restart. And you know he he was completely done in most people's eyes. Giovanni Lo Celso couldn't get a game under Mourinho for the first couple of months really and it took a few injuries before I know he wasn't fully fit necessarily but even so you know these things these things change quickly I'm pretty confident Delhi will get his chance at some point and then it's just up to him you know whether he takes it look at Lamella who I think I know he's not to everyone's tastes but he came on yesterday and I thought was really really good and changed the game in in Tottenham's favour and he is someone who I don't think when Spurs signed Bale, when they signed Vinicius, when they already have so many attacking players, people really thought, you know, he was going to have much of a say this season. But he, I think he's merited it with his performances. And that opportunity is there and will be there for Deli Alley. I love that um, Jose bringing on Lamella instead of Bale for Lucas in the second half when it was nil-nil. That but it paid cool. off, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, compl- I think that made complete sense, didn't it? I mean, yeah. I don't know. We, we've seen how well... Uh, uh, you know, Spurs have generally been at their best with Lamella on the pitch this season, probably haven't they? And uh, definitely, and, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting what happened to get to West Ham was Bale's fault, obviously. But in that in that 20 minutes, Spurs conceded three goals, and it didn't look quite right going forward. So you know, I'm not suggesting that's going to be like the pattern of things to come. But you can see why, with the game finally balanced, you know, need, needing to needing to tweak it to find a goal, but not let let too much go at the other end. I, th- I can see why that substitution would be the one he would make. And also credit to Mourinho for having the standing and the respect for not make for, for being able to do that and not bring on Gareth Bale. You know, at a point when you know he'd be aware everyone is baying for that substitution. You know, get Gareth Bale on, and a less experienced manager of which Spurs' rivals, you know, have less experienced managers. I I do wonder whether they would have had the strength of character to say no. I don't think that's the right substitution right now. I'm going to bring on Aaron Lamella. Um, when you know that that is a decision that if if it goes wrong, you know, let's say Spurs had then conceded and then they're suddenly having to bring on Bale later, it would be well, why didn't you bring on Bale sooner? You know, that that's a you're laying yourself pretty bare with that substitution, and and I think you have to give Mourinho credit to that because Lamella came on and made a big difference. And I have to say, I loved the goal. I thought that it it reminded me a bit. I don't know if you remember this of um, Harry Kane's goal against Tunisia, the winner in Volga oh, yeah, Ground yeah, in the 2018 yeah, World yeah, Cup, yeah, with, yeah. Yeah. with the near post header and then the far post header. But I was yeah. and I was watching that. Obviously, that was Maguire flicking it onto Kane. But I was watching it earlier, and I actually think Son's header was better than Kane's header because Kane, so Kane's winner against Tunisia. He's actually quite near to the far post, and it's it, the ball doesn't have to. He doesn't have to get the ball that far over the line. Whereas yesterday, Son. He like heads it back, kind of back across goal over the defender's head into. I saw a mate of mine wrote on Twitter. It was like the only bit of the goal he could actually get it into, and mm. uh, yeah, it was an incredible feat of athleticism, wasn't it, from Sonny to to get the ball back up and over. So yeah, what I know is you know some people don't like set piece goals, but I thought yes, I thought that was really really cool, and it just shows you, doesn't it, Charlie? How again, like what a sort of instinctive understanding those two players have. Yeah, I know. I thought that because like when. You sort of read, or you know, Kane son assist. I think that would be almost like the last goal you'd, you'd really expect when you hear that description. So it was, it was great to see that different kind of goal and, and a lovely moment, obviously, after when Son uh, he doesn't know that Kane's the one who's uh, won that first header and got the assist. So he just you see him mouthing, uh, "Was that you with the assist?" Which is quite nice. And Kane was like, "Yeah, it was me again." I mean, that um, that does suggest that it wasn't like a pre-rehearsed thing, though, right? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that is true. Yeah, you wouldn't be that stunned if you'd been working <laughs> hour after hour on getting that done. And it means that um, the Kane and Son partnership continues. This has been, I think, probably the story of the season. Oh, we were, you know, they did destroy Southampton. They destroyed United. We were going to talk. I think if Spurs hadn't screwed up in the last ten minutes against West Ham, we would have spent the, the subsequent podcast talking about it again there. But of course, we things didn't turn out as they should have done. And it means that um, Kane and Son now have 29 goal combinations together in the Premier League, uh, which brings them level with Robert Perez and Thierry Henry, which is obviously one of the all-time great pairings, and Davis Silva and Sergio Aguero, which is another mm. all-time great pairing. And the only two ahead of them are Drogba and Lampard. And so like those three pairs, Drogba, Lampard, Silva, Aguero, Perez and Henry, are all as- associated with great like multi-title winning teams of the Premier League era which I think just goes to show just how good they are, Charlie. And there's no reason to imagine that it's not going to continue. Yeah, I, I put in my piece uh, from the game, I think in Sun and Kane, Spurs have the two most informed players in the Premier League. 
Um, which totally, is, yeah. Like, I don't know if either of you, I mean, I don't know if either of you would disagree with that, but like, that is, that's pretty frightening to have not just one, but two players who are playing that well and basically scoring and or assisting every game. Their numbers are ludicrous. Kane's numbers are incredible. So Kane's now on 13 goal contributions, which is goals plus assists um, in the Premier League so far after six games, which is the most that anyone's ever been on after six games. And it, it got me thinking last night whether or not he can break the record. So I was speaking to our mate um, Duncan Alexander from Opta what, what the most goal contributions was by a player in a 38-game Premier League season. And uh, Thierry Henry got 44 in 2002-03. And Luis Suarez got 43 in 2013-14. And again, those are like two of the best players in Premier League history in two of the most, in, in probably the, two of their best seasons in Premier League history. And uh, obviously Kane is running a bit hot at the moment and he probably won't maintain this form, of this current standard of like more than two goal contributions per game. But there's no reason to believe that he can't get to 30 or 40 by the end of the season, is there? No, not at all. And Sonny's on 10 goal contributions, I think, at this point. So they're both on for, you know, ridiculous seasons. That reminds me, by the way, I just wanted to float this, the Luis Suarez 13-14. I was thinking, are there kind of shades of that Brendan Rodgers-Liverpool 13-14 side about this Tottenham <laughs> team? Do you know what I mean? Just like they fit, like they're they sort can't of... Defend. Basically, they can't really defend. They're really good going forward. They haven't won a title before. Yeah. They're a bit of a they're a bit fresh as a team, but so I I I don't know. I wonder and yeah, I can just kind of see shades of that team. Give away a lot of penalties. So Eric Dyer is like Martin Skirtle, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we kind of just need. I mean the tri- I mean Kane and Son in the kind of Sturridge and Suarez. Just need that. Maybe Bale can step up and be the Sterling. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel they. And, and maybe that's why people think they will just about fall short in the way that Liverpool did. But, you know, that was one of the most exciting teams in the Premier League ever. And I, I it, just in the sense that when I watch Spurs, and I know yesterday it wasn't so much like this, I do back them just to score loads of goals in pretty much every game. Um, and, you know, that Liverpool team had score lines like 6-3 and things like that across the season. Um, but who knows? I mean, may- maybe Spurs will will change the way they're playing. But I mean, that, that, that's really interesting because the, the, the difference, obviously, is a manager, right? It's, it's having a manager, and I'm talking about Brendan Rodgers in, in 2014, obviously not, not 2020. Um, the Tottenham have a manager who knows how to do what Spurs did last night and change the system and be a bit more conservative and eke out a 1-0 win in an away game where perhaps kind of throwing caution to the wind and making it an all-out attack fest perhaps wouldn't have been the best approach. I'm not sure Liverpool under Rodgers, and to be honest, even in those first couple of years under Klopp, really had that in there, really had that in them. Do you know what I mean? I just don't think they could like, I don't think they could control the game in the same way that I think Spurs probably can. Yeah, I I know what you mean. I, I just, I really want to see how Spurs do in this run of games where they play... Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Arsenal and four out of five matches. And just to see that their defence really tested um, and how it stands up. Because that is obviously and 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 you know, we'll we may as well, you know, we talk about this, my piece yesterday was about, you know, them as title challenges, what they need to do. And that is obviously the area where they are, you would think, a little bit short. And it's whether Mourinho can replicate performances and and a setup like yesterday against a team of a higher quality than Burnley. You've put a terrifying image into my head there, which is Harry Kane having a Stephen Gerrard Don't slip moment. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> three games to the end of the season. <laughs> we well, were all thinking it. You didn't need to mention that. Don't talk about that. Yeah. Let's just well, talk about something else. It might be that by saying it out loud, I have somehow like... Uh, reverse tempted fate. I've reverse yeah, tempted okay, fate. Fine. I've like I've, I've, I've sucked the poison out of the... Um, is that the right way of putting it? Who knows? Maybe. Uh, Especially though, as these are the... He does kind of take up those sort of positions now. I, you know, it's not... It would have seemed ludicrous a few years ago to imagine him yeah. dropping into that pocket like Gerard did. But but now the, you know, new Kane does... No, I'm going to say... Sorry, James. I need to, I need to no, say... No, 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 no. Harry Kane's Hollywood passes have purpose. That's the difference. That's true. That that I mean, that is completely true. But what I would say is that... Kane is kind of approaching that like slightly Gerard vibe of the one man quest to win the title, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, definitely that. But his his heroic quest to finally deliver that trophy. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The really big question at the moment is whether or not Spurs can win the league because they should be top. Like, if they hadn't screwed up in the Newcastle or the West Ham game, if they hadn't screwed up in either of the Newcastle or the West Ham games, they would be top on goal difference right now, I think. And if they had, hadn't screwed up in both of those games, then they'd be top by two points. So can they do it? Um, I I do think they're in the mix. Like, I, I just... I, in my piece yesterday, I basically broke down the kind of areas... The rough areas you think about that you need to win titles. So, you know, a solid defence, the ability to grind out wins, a bit of star quality, trophy winning experience. Can you beat the big boys? And then intangibles, you know, like Leicester in 2016, that coming at a time where bizarrely all the normal title winning teams were kind of in the middle of differing crises. And, and I, you know, as I said, I think that equivalent could be the fact that Liverpool don't have Van Dijk. City seem to be at the end of their natural life cycle and we're in the middle of a pandemic when games are played behind closed doors and we don't really know what that will kind of lead to. But obviously within that, some of the things I've mentioned, you would say they probably are, they look a little short. Uh, so the solid defence, the ability to grind out wins, we saw that yesterday. Can they keep doing that? And the trophy winning experience and you know just linking that back to that Liverpool 13-14 team that they didn't have many if any, in that squad who'd won the Premier League. And obviously, that's an area where Spurs are lacking, though countering that is the fact they have Jose Mourinho in charge, uh, who has won it three times. Uh, so that's a really long-winded way of answering your question. I, I think that they're in the mix. It's, it's hard you know, to say, yes, I think they're going to win the league right now because they are competing ultimately with Liverpool, who are a formidable outfit with or without Virgil van Dijk. Um but I think, you know, what I can say pretty definitively is how much the dial has shifted and that, you know, when we did when we recorded our preview pod, which was just before the start of the season, and that was before Bale and all of that, before Regulon, before, you know, Kane and Son became the two best players in the world without question. Um, you know, we were talking about, yeah, I think they can have a tilt at the top four. Now, I think we're all thinking, aren't we, they're going to get top four and it's whether they can make that next step up and... You know, will they finish third? Will they finish second? Could they even finish first? Two years ago, I tweeted a thing that really pissed off Liverpool fans. Just under two years ago, actually, because it would have been to Ivy Christmas 2018-19. And that was that basically 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, like people didn't talk about the title race until like March, maybe, February, at a push. Like that season you were just talking about with Liverpool 2014, I mean, they they weren't like no one was talking about them as title contenders until until March or April. That it just wasn't a thing before that. Yeah. Um, and now it seems like we're talking about the title race in and let's not let's not mess around. This is effectively still September in the sense of a season, isn't it? We're six weeks into the season, so really it's the end of September rather than the end of October. If you look at you know the traditional in calendar. footballing terms, in footballing terms, exactly. Um, yeah. So I, but that's my way of saying this is way too early to be thinking <laughs> about like. You know, who, 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 whether Spurs or not, whether or not Spurs are in the in the title race or contenders for the title, um, I think I think it's just, it's just far it's just far better just to kind of let things unfold a little bit longer. And you're right, Charlie. That run um, November into December, uh, November into December, which I think also contains uh, Wolves and Leicester. I think in, in two of the three games off the back of that as well. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which are kind of Almost to me, almost more interesting, I think, is how they deal in those games more than against the top sides, the very top sides. Well, and also that reflects the fact that five of their six opponents so far this season finished 10th or lower last season. So they have yeah. had a pretty kind run of games. Um, you know, so you, you could just say they've pretty much done what you'd have expected from those fixtures. I guess you could argue the points tally they have is about par. Why are we getting so carried away? But I do just think having watched them, you, you can see why you're getting why one would get excited. Look, the one thing we can definitively say is that they will be able to absolutely destroy teams who don't play on the back foot, if you see what I mean. So, you know, we saw it at Southampton when they tried to play a high line and press up the pitch. We saw it against Manchester United when they tried to play a high line but were also absolutely dreadful defensively and tried to press up the pitch. Um, they'll be able to score loads of goals in games like that and you would fancy them to kind of outscore most teams. So if 
say Chelsea tried to do that uh, in a couple of weeks' time, then I, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Spurs beat Chelsea. I don't want to say convincingly, but I think I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Spurs beat them. Um, but then, you know, you go into the next game, and I, I don't actually know what the next game is. My bad, I'm not looking at the fixtures, but you know, if it's against someone uh, more like Wolves, who kind of, Wolves say, you know, because they keep, they keep their shape down there, they're not like a, a high pressing team, Wolves, really. They've got good technical players in the team, but they're not a team who like press way up the pitch. That will be the kind of game where I think I, I would like to see them tested in those kind of games more than, you know, against sides who are going to leave the back door open, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, you're worried more about the Chelsea 2014 equivalents. Basically, yeah, and, and look, I mean, it, like this game last night. So let, let's not let's not overlook that. You know, that was that's the kind of game that I was worried about against a team who who defend and know how to defend. I'm yeah. kidding themselves and they know what they're doing. They actually, you know, they're well drilled. I think they've conceded eight goals this season, Burnley in six game in five games, um, which is comparable to to more or less anyone in the league. I don't think there are many teams who have conceded many fewer than that. So you know, I, I, we shouldn't kind of overlook the fact that that was a difficult challenge. And they found a way to win the game. But that, 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 uh, I think, in a way, that game on Monday night probably tells, tells you more, in a sense, than, than Southampton and Manchester United, in a way. What I would say about um, Spurs' capacity to unpick uh, teams who dig in is that they're going to get better on the ball. Like, we have... Lo Celso's only started, what, one, two, three games so far this season? Lo Celso and Ndombele haven't started together yet. Bale, we obviously haven't seen the best of yet. And if in a few months' time we've got Lo Celso and Ndombele starting together in midfield, Spurs will be fa- much, much better in midfield than they've been for a while. They're going to create much more chances. They're going to have a you know, a, a, a genuinely great player in Bale whose capacity to make something happen out of nothing is huge. And I think Spurs, I just think Spurs will get better on the ball. And of course, like, you know, the more settled in Reguilon gets, the more settled in Doherty gets. Uh, I just think there there is still more to come, and that's why that's why I think it, it's okay to be optimistic. Is because Spurs are playing, Spurs are looking good, and I think they're going to improve as well. In terms of whether or not they'll win the league, like I've got obviously I've got no idea, but I'd say that I'd say they're probably I I make Liverpool big big favourites even without Van Dyke. But after Liverpool, I think it's a pretty even. I think it's pretty even between Tottenham. City, who I don't think are going to have a good season. And then it's kind of anyone's guess, like Everton, Leeds, probably not Villa, um, not Manchester United Chelsea. Chelsea. I think, I think you'd maybe pick Chelsea. Chelsea. In that mix, you? Maybe Chelsea. Chelsea are sort of in a similar bracket to Spurs almost, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And minus United. the managerial experience. And same with United. Oh, yeah, they look United good going well. forward. Clearly, there are massively talented players in the team and they should be able to score goals against most teams. But like, it's what they've got at the other end that's going to be a big problem. I think Chelsea have a higher ceiling than United this year. Like, I just don't think United are going to be good. I think we've seen enough of Solskjaer to know that. Whereas I think Chelsea, <laughs> I think Chelsea, like, there's, there is a possibility with Chelsea that Lampard will find the right balance. And if Lampard does find the right balance, then they're going to be really good because they've got great players. So it's a bit, I, I'd still like, yeah, I'd say wait and see on Chelsea. Whereas uh, I don't think United will be threatening Spurs. Another talking point out of the game was the overall performance of Harry Kane, not just in terms of that lovely little assist header to Son, but also his defensive work. Like, he made a he headed one off the line about five minutes before Son scored, uh, and the game obviously would have gone very differently if Spurs had conceded. And it did get me thinking, given how good Harry Kane is in all aspects of the game at the moment, what would be the optimum number of... If you could replicate Harry Kane, not clone Harry Kane, because obviously if you cloned him and then he would, like, be a fetus, so and you'd have to wait 27 <laughs> years... <laughs> For him to be as good as he is now, so not close. Let's but get like, the science right. That's important. Yeah, yeah. yeah steady on. Uh, but 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 like replicate. So you'd have this another. This is not a cloning. Yeah, another version of the kind of Harry Kane as he exists at the moment. What would be the optimum number of Harry Kanes to have in your team? Because I've been Five. thinking about this a lot. Five. Five. Where yep. would they be? Right. Okay. Here's my team. Larice. And obviously, I'm going right to left. I'm not an animal. And it's four three three. Larice, Kane, 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 Reggie, <laughs> Hoiberg, and Dombele, Lacelso, Kane, Kane, Son. Oof. How do we feel about that? Five. Uh, Five. Pretty that's good. Interest- yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, me- I guess I've not got a Kane in midfield, I suppose. Maybe I need a Kane in midfield. Yeah, I wonder if you. 
or if you go a four-two-three-one, in which case you can then have a Kane playing as a number ten almost, and as one of the wide positions, and up front, and then you have Son. Because uh, I was thinking of having wing backs and having Reggion and Kane as wing backs, but then you just need another centre back, Kane, don't you? So, friend of the show, bankrupt Spurs tweeted that he would have a Kane at holding midfield because he's tactically astute, reads the game well, yeah, has good distribution, good. and I can kind of get that. But Hoiberg is really good at that. I think I think two is the absolute minimum. I think Kane, Kane, Son, or would be the best front line. Or if you do a four-two-three-one, you could That's have Kane I mean. as a Kane, 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 Son, Kane. Yeah, you can have Kane as Kane as a ten, Kane as a nine, Kane in the Lucas role, and then Son. So I think three might be my answer, and then I probably wouldn't have another one in midfield just because I'd want Hoybjerg. If I did that four-two-three-one with three Kanes in the front four, I definitely want Hoybjerg and Ndombele as my two, and in the back back line. I definitely wouldn't have him at left back. And to be honest, at right back, I'm not sure he's quite got the sprinting of someone like Doherty or Aurier. And then at centre back, uh, who knows? I don't know. I would I wouldn't have him as both centre backs. I think I think I'd have to have an actual centre back. Well, if we him. had a left footed centre back, I'd put the left footed centre back in there. But we, there isn't one, so uh, yeah. <laughs> so he gets the nod. Yeah, I think it's a good shout, Jack, about the right back. Uh, whether yeah. yeah, whether he's quite explosive and pacey enough to to be getting up and down all game. Do I need to put Sissoko into my team somewhere to cover the Kane at right back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I do think, I also think if you had him at centre, because he's not an, because ex- he's not an experienced centre back, I think he's a kind of, he could look good like throwing himself around in front and stuff, but like, yeah. he also would give away a lot of pens, if you know what I mean, just because he's not like <laughs> yeah. an experienced tackler. And so you'd have this nightmare, like two of your Harry Kanes might get sent off in the first half and then, then you might have to rejig. But presumably these these clones, sorry, not clones. What what do you say? Replicas. Replicas. These replicas of Harry. Three D photocopies. Well, presumably would they not like learn how to defend as the season went on? Or are we saying oh, yeah. they'd be like they'd be like thrown into the sea and then you'd replicate yeah. them for the next? You game. might. No, I think they might. would. But but aren't we talking about this is just for like the first game? I mean, yeah. As the season wore on and these super cane robot like you know with their artificial intelligence learn the game then then they could then maybe i would be talking about having them both center backs but i think early on when robot kane is still learning the game i mean presumably as well on fifa or whatever this is possible like could people simulate this and see how see how it works yeah can some nerd listening to this too, then? <laughs> let, let us know how it goes Cheers. I love the, I love the idea of that nerd being encouraged by uh, being called some nerd. <laughs> oh, they love it. Bro, yeah. can some nerd do this for us? We can't be asked. Yeah, it's, it's quite. A, the more I think about it, it's quite a worrying prospect. Like just in my, just also like it's given me an image of. Uh, you know that scene at the end of the Prestige, like there'd be all these like dead replica, <laughs> yeah. dead replica canes in tanks of water. Sorry, if you've never seen the Prestige, I've ruined it for you forever. You can now never <laughs> enjoy this film. Um, but uh, yeah, all these like dead replica canes in tanks of water at, at Spurs Lodge. So uh, hope- <laughs> hopefully, not a vision of the future. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Another thing I want to talk about this week is, Charlie, you've just done a really interesting three-man interview with Spurs coaching staff about Black History Month with um, Chris Powell, Ledley King and Troy Archibald Henville. Really interesting read on The Athletic. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what, what Chris and Ledley and Troy were saying? Yeah, I'd really, um, I'd really recommend reading this. I, I don't normally say that about my own work, but I can say that because... It, the, what's worth reading about it has absolutely zero to do with me. It's just I found it really, really interesting to hear from these guys and Dean Rastrick, the academy manager, as well. Um, I mean, there are so many issues, uh, you know, around this, and you know, they, they they just spoke really well about, you know, the fact that they think so many uh, really good black coaches uh, have been lost over the years um, and, and the importance of role models like and this is something maybe we don't think about enough but you know Chris was saying just the fact that he 
you know, he he sits now, um, he's part of Gareth Southgate's backroom staff and just how important that can be. The fact that you've got Ledley King on the sidelines at every Spurs game, how important that can be for people growing up and thinking, yeah, I could do that. And, and Ledley himself spoke about the fact that Sol Campbell uh, came from a similar area to him in East London and how inspiring that was. And it made Ledley think, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I could do something like that. Um, and then I think, you know, people get bogged down in this idea of, uh, well, you know, it should be the best person for the job, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, that's true. But what's so important and what these guys talked about and what Dean Rastrick talked about was that actually you all become better as a club, as an organisation, when you have a diverse workforce and when that workforce reflects the demographics of the area. Um and so, you know, he talked about the fact that such an important part as a coach is being able to relate to uh, the people you're with. And obviously, if you have a more varied coaching staff, the chances are that there are going to be more people who can relate uh, to the people that are there. And, you know, people can might feel more comfortable, you know, with someone with Chris Powell, he has a depth of experience and people might feel a bit more comfortable talking to him. So yeah, it was just a real pleasure to talk to these guys um, and, and hear what they had to say. And, and you know, beforehand, there was a Q&A with some, um, some young people who are, are on a scheme that Tottenham are running to try and get, um, you know, to give young black coaches more of an opportunity. And just seeing how engaged they were listening um, to these guys talking was, was just really inspiring. And, you know, credit to Tottenham, they... You know, they rightly are proud of the fact that they have a history of giving black coaches the chances they deserve. You know, you look back to guys like Les Ferdinand and Chris Ramsey and Chris Hewton and um, the late Hugo Echiog. But yeah, it was, it was a really thought-provoking evening. And as I say, I felt very lucky um, to be there. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really interesting piece. And I would completely echo what Charlie says about the importance of representation. Um, it's uh, This is such an important issue within the game. And I think it, it's really interesting reading... Chris Powell's take on this, especially because Powell's had, you know, Powell's had a really good coaching managerial career. He did fantastically well at Charlton Athletic, getting them promoted in his first major job. But as he says in the piece, like there's going to be a sea change soon when I think clubs wake up to their obligations on the issue of diversity and coaching appointments. And I think the more clubs, the more that clubs like Tottenham do to make a more diverse and inclusive coaching group within their within their club then the better next up for spurs on thursday night is a trip to antwerp in the europa league um like i think i said last week it's it's a shame for the fans that they won't get to go antwerp's a really nice place uh but the person who i think we most think of when we think of this fixture is toby aldwirald who is from antwerp uh he's a very kind of home and family centered person uh, he has a tattoo on his left arm which says, each day I come closer to the home where I was born. And he's spoken a lot about wanting to return back to Antwerp in, in Belgium at the end of his career. He's also got a tattoo of his brother's names and one of the famous um, the Cathedral of Our Lady in Antwerp, um, which I, d- I don't think I've actually been to, but I would, I would love to go. I'm a big fan of uh, religious architecture. Um, but it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a bit so it's a big game for Toby. I assume we're expecting him to play uh, Charlie. Who else are we expecting to expecting to see in the Antwerp game? I expect there'll be quite a lot of rotation, um, given that you've got guys like Aurier and Reguilon and Sanchez who all didn't play. You know, that's just you know at the back for starters. Then you'd imagine Winks would come back into the side. Um, Lacelso, as I mentioned, you know could do with the minutes. Then will Lamella get a start? Bergvine, Vinicius, Bale. I mean, it's a pretty strong team that isn't it and that's making i don't know they can make 11 changes and uh, and still have a really good team uh, and then still have players on the bench that um you know uh, of, of of a really good quality as well like Daddy Ali in the team i've just mentioned would be on the bench so i think i think he will heavily rotate um and and i thought as well like just uh, i thought it was impressive in the game against um Lask that they they made a ton of changes, but still look pretty coherent. And often, even when the players you're bringing in are of a decent quality, when you make that many changes, you often get some pretty stale uh, performances in the Europa League lacking fluency. But I thought they um, they, they looked really good um, 
considering all of that. So, which, which bodes well for for the Europa League campaign because they'll really want to be able to rotate heavily. It was so good, wasn't it, that they managed not to play Harry Kane in that first game. Yeah. I mean, that's just the first time he's been an unused sub since was it Rochdale in the FA Cup in like February 2018. So the snow game. Up, yeah, coming up to three years ago, and you know, I mean, this is sort of captain obvious point, but the more they cannot play Harry Kane and their best players in the Europa League, the better they do in the Premier League. And I think there's no no coincidence that over the years when Kane's been expected to play every single game in every competition for every minute and never come off, he's you know he's suffered injuries. Whereas I think I'm hoping that this year we'll see a, a Kane who will play. He'll start fewer games, but that means that in, he'll end up being able to play the whole season. Which hasn't always been the case in the past. Yeah, and would Kane, would a a Kane that had played ninety minutes on Thursday have been sharp enough to have dropped back onto his line, headed Tarkovsky's header off, and then created the assist? We'll never know, but I'm sure it didn't hurt him having that ninety minutes off. Totally. So, um, been talking about Toby Alderweireld, and before we wrap up, uh, I just want to play a little game. Um, who is this? Is a test really of how much you two remember of. Toby Alderweireld's Tottenham debut, which of course was a <laughs> 1-0 defeat at Old Trafford, the first game of the 2015-16 season. Uh, usual rules apply. We're going to go through the team. Uh, we're going to start with James this time. Nah. Uh, and let's see if you can get the whole starting eleven from that game. Uh, Off you go, James. Um, well, OK, I mean, I'll start, I'll start with one, I think. I'll start with one I think Charlie is going to get, which is Kyle Walker, because he scored the own goal. Yes. Yeah, and I mentioned that before we started recording, so you've, you've uh, stitched me up there. Uh, but yeah, you go, go with the obvious ones, obviously, you know. Um, uh, Kane? Yes. Michel Paul? Yes. Really? That's Go, go with the obvious ones. Yeah. <laughs> Who retired yesterday, we should say. Um, oh, yeah. All the best, Michelle. Um... Wow, that's a fair play for you to using that so early because I would definitely have said Lloris. Um, Danny Rose? No, Danny Rose is incorrect. Let's keep playing, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I won't forget that. Ben Davis? Yes, Ben Davis. Uh, Ericsson? Yes. Uh, Vertonghen? Yes. Good one. Uh, Dembele? Yes. Uh, uh, Eric Dyer? Yes. Lamella? No. No Lamella. So you've got uh, you've got two two players left, both midfielders. So for me to for me to draw, I would need to get both of these basically. Yeah, I've actually lost count, but let's just go with that. <laughs> I think that must be right. Midfield. Uh, two midfielders. Ryan Mason. No. Uh, Chadley. Yes. Oof. Yes. Ooh. All to play That's... for now. All to play Ooh, for. Oh, one oh, one player left. All right, I'm getting a piece of paper and I'm going to write down. So you, you can edit this out, Tom, because it's going to be me working it out in laborious fashion. Right, one so player got... left. If James gets it, Ten. he wins. Yeah. If Charlie gets it, he wins. Uh, well, I but think. If... Um, yeah. But what maybe. about if there's an incorrect guess? At the, at the moment, we've got uh, Dan, uh, Charlie's got two incorrect and James got one incorrect. So. Maybe we'll just call it a straight oh. shootout. Oh, that seems too obvious. No. Ooh. It's I'm not. not gonna, we've, we've had Lamella, but it's not Lamella. It's not Lamella. I'm not going to give a clue. I'm not going to say anything because a clue would would. Uh, uh, so my, my, my thinking, my thinking, and this this may be me just conceding to Charlie if I get this wrong. But my thinking is that it's not, it's not Deli Ali. I think Deli Ali wouldn't have started the first game of that season because he would have only just signed. Mm. So I'm saying it's not Deli Ali. <laughs> if you're trying to tempt me into like yeah. saying, I'm anything. not. I'm not. I'm, I'm just trying to work out. I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm noting this system down. I'm, I've got. I've got like a back four. I've got Dyer, Dembele, Eriksson, Chadley, 
who I assume played out wide on, on one wing or the other. So I'm guessing it might be a wide player, but I, I can't think who it could be because uh, I don't think it's going to be a. Mm. Uh, is it uh, in D or someone? It can't be surely. Is that is that a guess? Are you yeah. guessing in G? It's not Clinton and G. Charlie, it's your chance to win the game. I mean, I I don't think it is him because I agree with James's logic. Oh, I've got my like, ne- I've got my next guess. Oh, if you say who I'm thinking of, though, I'm going to be so annoyed if it's right. Well, I'm not because I'm going to go Deli Ali. It's not Deli Ali. Is it Nabil Bentaleb? It is Nabil Bentaleb. Yes. Well, done. Uh, well, well done. Well done. Yes. God, I would not have got that. <laughs> that is not about- a balanced team. Yeah, the the interesting thing Watch about out. that is is that um, yeah, is that obviously Bentaleb played a lot the previous season, but this was just at the point where he was kind of his relationship with Pochettino was fraying at this mm. point. There'd been the big contract for Argo yeah, in the summer of yeah. 2015, but um, I think the reason that it's it looks unbalanced is that as far as I remember, at the start of the 15-16 season, Dembele was playing out wide rather than in the middle. So it would have been uh, Di- yeah, okay. it would have been Dyer and Bentaleb sitting, Chadley on one side, Dembele okay. on the other. But yeah. it, to be honest, looking back, if I'd been I, I I might have got my chronology wrong with this, but if I'd been trying to come up with another wide player who played at this point, the the one that I would have gone for incorrectly would have been Andros Townsend. Was he still there in the first game yeah, of fifteen sixteen or had he he been been there, there, yeah. season? Yeah, he left yeah. in January in Newcastle. Right, yeah, January twenty sixteen he went to Newcastle and this was before his big row with Poch, which obviously killed his first career. But um yeah, so I'm James wins, but that was yeah, that was a pretty fun game. Can producer Tom edit out my over the top reaction to winning that quiz, Chris? No, you keep that in. You've Absolutely got to keep that not. bit in. You can't take that out of your game. And then finally, uh, after the Antwerp game, Spurs' next game after that is Sunday night, Brighton at home uh, in the Premier League. And this one is Spurs' first pay per view game, isn't it, James? Yes, it is. Which, I mean, as I think has been well documented now, is going to be. Uh, uh, maybe present a little bit of a dilemma for some people, uh, myself included. As I think a lot of people on social media will have seen, there have been campaigns set up by various uh, sort of supporters groups and supporters trusts to uh, donate that fifteen pounds to a local food bank rather than um, r- rather than basically to pay the Premier League that money. Uh, and there has been one set up by Spurs fans, which has so far, and this is obviously at the time of recording. Uh, sorry, I should say it's not been set up by Spurs fans, actually. I don't think it's been set up by people in the community, but Spurs fans have obviously been contributing to it. Uh, and at the moment, that's up to £87,000. Uh, and wow. the target is £100,000. So, I mean, you would suspect that by Sunday evening, they would hit that target, which would be pretty incredible, really. £100,000, you know, to help uh, to help support local people in that area, which, you know, I, I think we can all agree that's certainly needed. Uh so yeah, we'll. Uh, I guess we'll tweet the link, shall we, when we put this podcast out to say, you know, people can make their choice. It's not a judgment call on whether or not you actually also pay the fifteen pounds. And I know there's a whole, you know, uh, 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 there's a whole conversation about that, about whether or not people should actually be contributing to that and uh, potentially prolonging that. And I think there's a Premier League meeting as we record, isn't there, on uh, on Tuesday, yeah. to just, and that's going to be one of the things that's discussed. So actually, it may be, but by by the time this podcast go out, that has actually changed. But yeah, I think I think that's a good course of support. I mean, I, I think what will probably happen, obviously, I need to watch the game for this podcast. It wouldn't be the same if I hadn't seen the game. So it may be that I donate this £15 and also pay to watch the match. I don't know if that makes me a scab, but I think that's what I'm going to do. I completely agree with that, James. Um, I think that's a really important thing, which we, which we should all get behind. Um, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thank you very much, Charlie and James and producer Tom. Uh, thank you very much for listening, if you're still with us. Sorry if I've spoiled the prestige for you. Um, and we look look forward to coming back again next week where we'll look back on the Antwerp and Brighton games. Um, if, again, if you've got anything you want us to talk about in the pod, please just uh, tweet us or DM us.